He's been the voice of South African cricket commentary for nearly 30 years and he's covered almost every tour and match the Proteas have played since readmission to international cricket in 1991. He's a respected journalist and media entrepreneur and the author of seven books, six about cricket and cricketers and one about drinking beer. He's an avid runner and a keen golfer with the slowest backswing in the amateur game. I'm Craig Ray and it's my great pleasure to welcome colleague and mentor Neil Manthorpe onto the Daily Maverick Sports Podcast this week. Hi, Neil. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much, Craig. Is that backswing still so slow? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> a, yeah well, I was always told that uh, that most things go wrong with a golf swing on the backswing, so that's why I developed a really <laughs> slow one. But, um, yeah. The... I could eat three sandwiches while you were <laughs> swinging back. <laughs> uh, yeah, the game's all right, actually. Still playing off a 12. That's pretty good. Ringing off a 12, come on. <laughs> You've been a 12 for 15 years. <laughs> You're taking good money off your mates. Exactly. Yeah. Well, uh, I don't play often enough for it to go up or down. <laughs> <laughs> so cricket have you, you as i said there you've been in it for 30 years in this country have you ever seen anything like the last summer uh in terms of administration and uh, we'll we'll unpack some of those things but just all the all the stuff that sort of went on in december journalists being banned from games it was quite phenomenal wasn't it it was yeah i haven't really said i mean that you know we forget about crises don't we um there have been a lot of them in south african cricket over the last 30 years we do tend to brush them aside, um, you know. Time heals, but this has been this has been really poor. And thanks to to your work, actually, in the Daily Maverick, um, it, the the scale of it was was fully exposed. I don't think it often has been the case that that the full scale of of um, maladministration ever really gets exposed. But but this was an attempt uh, to capture cricket in yeah. much the way that that you know the state was captured. Yeah, and I mean you've. You've seen it all in this game. I mean, administrators, and we see it in other sports, they almost hinder any sport in this country rather than help it. But in amongst that, I'm sure there's a lot of good people, not only in cricket, in all sports, that, that really struggle to have their voice heard. Have you, do, do you feel confident someone like Jacques Fall can can sort of put cricket on the right path in the next few months, years even? I don't know how long he's going to be in the job. Not by himself. Um, he needs a really good team. And you're right, you know, that if a, a sport or an industry is endemically corrupt, if the majority of people are corrupt, then nobody's going to make any money. <laughs> no, <laughs> nobody's self-serving because yeah. they're all corrupt. So by their very nature, corrupt people um, are the minority. And, and I don't mean corrupt just be, because they've got their hand in the cookie jar. I mean, morally corrupt um, mm. in the game, administering it for the wrong reasons. And I'm not saying that they should be doing it for free either. I mean, no. it's no going back to the old amateur days. But it, yeah, um, Jacques Fall will need a, a lot of help. First of all, he's going to be need, he's going to need to to be appointed full time. Whatever happens to Tabang Moreau needs to happen quickly. That needs to be fast forwarded. Um, you know that. Uh, I, I don't know, Craig. It's um, it's it's very it's very depressing. But I believe that. The production line of players won't change. I yeah. think, you know, we've got over 50 brilliant cricket-playing schools, traditional cricket-playing schools. Um, I think that uh, the, the game is spreading. We'll always, always produce more first-class quality cricketers than we have got space for. We've yeah. been exporting cricketers for a century. You know, let's not forget that. Um, and I believe also that there will be far more good administrators than bad. So it's just a question of biding your time, trying to... Um, speed up the process wherever possible and, and then, you know, move into a, a better space. You spoke there about morally corrupt people. And, and that was one of the big questions I was wrestling with when sort of digging into the story and um, 
having not been involved in cricket for a long time before I joined Daily Maverick, is you know what's the end game here? I mean, you can see the the funds dwindling and and less money coming into the sport. And if you those guys with your you know maladministration, where 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 do you think it's going to end? You know, and that's what I can't understand is how an administrator can sort of drive the game to the brink and think somehow it's either going to He's just going to walk away from it, or the game will somehow survive despite what's going on, what the obvious evidence is showing them. And and to me, that's still a question that's never really fully been answered, and maybe that will come out of this uh, forensic audit and what happens with Moreau in, in, in the future. Does the pig know that the trough is emptying until it's empty? Yeah. Um, that's, that's the real question, because I don't think the pig does. The pig just eats and keeps its nose in the trough until there's nothing in it. Yeah. But also, you have to remember that cricket is a, a multi, multi-million dollar business. Mm. Uh, there's a lot of money sloshing around, and it's hard to believe that it's going to run out. Uh, and I honestly think that when you say, what, what is the end game? You know, I, I can be shown the books and have them explained to me because I'm not, a, <laughs> I'm not an accountant. You should have seen me go through some of that stuff. And I can see, because, because I don't have my nose in the trough. Uh, I can understand that the money is running out and I can see that despite Cricket South Africa being paid millions of dollars from the ICC and from ICC events, and I can do the conversion rate and that's helping because it used to be six or seven to the yeah. rand, rand to the dollar and now it's 15. Um, and that's really, as you know now, you've seen the finances, that's prolonged the inevitable demise, financial yeah. demise. Yeah, um, and, and and one of the things was the South African Cricketers Association, their court case. That now, at least Jacques Falls got them back to the table. There's been a review of the restructure of, of the domestic game from you know, going back to sort of 12 or 14 provinces from the, the current franchise system. So that's a small victory maybe in the, in, in the turnaround for, for South African cricket, having Saka back at the table. Yeah, there was a very good relationship for 12 years between Saka and CSA. Um, and the cornerstone of that was that the, the players would have the right to be consulted um, and have their opinion heard on any matter that would directly affect their livelihoods or their careers. And Tabang Moreau made no secret of the fact that he had total disdain for what he called a trade union. Um, and he said that the players were employees and not partners of Cricket South Africa, uh, you know, which was a massive backward step. But I don't think that the game I, – I, look at the way tennis and golf and, and those individual sports and many other American sports, actually, look at the way that they're administered. And the idea that they can be administered without the cooperation and administration of the players and the inclusion of the players is just ridiculous. And I think the same applies now to, to cricket in South Africa. You can't, you can't uninvent the memorandum of understanding. You yeah. can't undo that now. Um, you know, the players are partners, and that's the way it should be. Yeah, I mean that's what struck me when it went through all those court papers. Uh, yeah, it was the was the level of uh, of formal engagement between the two parties. You know, there was no way it, it seemed it boggled the mind that the CEO could just go, "Well, we we're just doing this, we're not consulting," because it's all in black and white. You know, you are tied <laughs> into some massive contracts, and and that shows a, re a deep level of not understanding your role as the CEO, uh, which Tabong Moreau is obviously. Been exposed and finances. You know the 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 quest. The burning question for me is: How much money has Cricket South Africa spent on court cases? What about the 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 Western Province Cricket Association? Yeah. The the Newlands case that was absolutely 
ridiculous. And, and you know, Moreau was just had it showed his complete disregard or lack of understanding of finances. I mean, the the legal costs incurred by Cricket South Africa over the last two, three years, I believe, stretched comfortably over five million rand. That's just a drop in the ocean compared to some of the other uh, money that was blown. I mean, the, 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 it, at December 2018, Cricket South Africa, Moreau uh, and Chris Nanzani, the president, threw a, an email or a statement, we're going to lose 654 million rand over the next, by the end of the current cycle, which I think ends in 2022. You know, and that was sort of just thrown out there casually and, and, and yeah, people wrote about it, but it's taken a while for the the scale of that sort of impact to to filter down and, and realize well, if you're losing that much money over the next over the rest of the cycle, where's the next lot of money and coming even from? I could even I could see and understand that there were a number of items that were were missing from that list, <laughs> including the Mzanzi Super League, which um, is now what losing about eighty million. A campaign to 100 million? No, they've admitted over that, 120 million. So, so that 654 was, uh, was a, an underestimation. It's yeah. going to be more like a billion. Yeah. And <laughs> some of the, the, the minutes from the board meetings after that were, they just revised that loss at a board meeting in February to 350 million, and then Saka asked for explanation, and then they revised it to 244 million at another board meeting a month or two later. With no explanation, you know, how can you you have an outlook for a, a loss? And again, we're not financial people. Then suddenly it changes twice in the well, space of two months. Well, it was based on the fact that it didn't look good. Can you imagine <laughs> that somebody in the, in the board meeting said, this 654, that's not a good look for us, you know. It's so somebody changes. else said, well, I'll tell you what, let's, let's halve it then. <laughs> well, it probably was that basic, which is <laughs> scary in its way. But yeah. And that's obviously filtered down now into the all that going on, all those goings on at boardroom level has, has filtered down into the team, which has coincided with the transitional phase. And I'm talking about the Proteas men's team now, which is the flagship. And, and let's be quite honest, it's probably 80% of the earnings of, of cricket South Africa come through what the Proteas men's team do. So they are the, the most important team in cricket. Um, you know, that coincided with Ashim Amla retiring and A.B. de Villiers going his own way and a few others and, you know, Mornay Morkel and Dale Stane being injured and we can name them. Um, and now you have all this this stuff going on. Do you think that's been partly at play in what's been going on with the Proteus cricket team on the field or is it purely a transitional phase and they just don't have the players? It's a really good question and I've been, a lot of people have asked me that. Um, whenever I've written about the boardroom struggles and uh, and the, the maladministration, People have said to me, but but how does that affect the guys on the field? I mean, what does that make them play a bad shot? Does it make them bowl a bad ball, drop a catch? No, it doesn't. But my question is, whatever job you do, whatever the the environment, it's important if you're to produce your best that 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 you're not working in a toxic environment. Yeah. And you see, unlike Tabang Morrow in Cricket South Africa, when Tony Irish as chief executive decided that they had no choice. But to protect the players' livelihoods, they had to take CSA to court. At every step of the way, he had to tell the players that they were spending player money. Yeah. To, to go to the South Johannesburg High Court costs, you know, to employ the advocates that you need, it costs 20 or 30 or 40,000 rand a day. Mm. And that was player money. Over a million rand of player money has been spent protecting their own jobs and their own livelihoods from the people who were supposed to be doing that. It's crazy when you put it like that. Uh, it, it's, I mean, and so so there's an environment in which there's a complete lack of trust, obviously no respect at all. And it doesn't matter. I don't care if you're, you know, screwing taps together or, or fixing lawnmower blades. It doesn't matter. 
If you know that you are completely and utterly disrespected by your employers or supposed partners, employment partners, then you are not going to perform at your best. Hmm. And I'm not saying that that Lungi and Gidi or Kahisa Rabada run up and think and they're thinking those sods are on the board, you know, <laughs> and they push one down the leg side. It doesn't work like that. Yeah. You know, you step over the line, of course you're going to give your absolute best. But in terms of preparation and Yes, yeah, I absolutely have no doubt whatsoever that the boardroom shenanigans have had an effect on on field performance. There's one good example of that in um, in the post cricket World Cup report uh, from the team management uh, about how the board didn't support them in trying to get key players out of IPL to prepare for Cricket World Cup and then put all this pressure on the players. You, you better go and win Cricket World Cup, but don't give them the tools. They didn't have any training camps. They didn't have. Uh, you know, Kukisa Rabada was broken after IPL. He went into the, the Cricket World Cup with you know back injury. Uh, most of the top players were in some way carrying an injury, and and that was from overplay, and that was from pressure from above, wasn't it? It was. <laughs> Quinton de Kock and Faf Duplessis played in the in the IPL final, and yeah. and, and which flew was back. What, like uh, three days before <laughs> the Cricket World Cup started. Or something? Exactly, exactly, and the. The BCCI, the Board of Control for Cricket in India, pay compensation yeah. to the boards of foreign players who employ foreign players. So, um, you know, there was, a, as you know, there was a financial incentive for Cricket South Africa not to withdraw Faf Duplessis and Quinton de Kock, the key players, Kisa Rabada as well, uh, Imran Tahir, another one. Um, so there was a financial incentive not to withdraw them, even though Otis Gibson and the and the medical team of of the Proteas had requested they had they had said it is absolutely vital that they are withdrawn at least two weeks before the end so that we can prepare. And it was agreed to by Tabang Moreau initially, but just not followed through with. Yeah, and 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 then the other part of that is uh, there was didn't appear to be any fight from CSA when it came to the Cricket World Cup fixtures. But knowing what they knew with IPL, South Africa get England first up, and and uh, I think India a week later, India's first game at the World Cup. So India are nice and rested. You know they've had two weeks between the IPL final and their first game at the World Cup. Where South Africa's into their third game by the time they meet India. With a broken team, so even the fixture list—I I, I don't know. Maybe CSA did go to the ICC and say this fixture list doesn't work for us. Do, do you think they would have had any opportunity to object to the fixture list when it was put out there to the to the? To no, the because council? the BCCI had got in there first. <laughs> well, exactly. <laughs> no, no. I mean, everything. I think we have to accept that. Unfortunately, we we actually do have to accept that the BCCI control the global game. They they control the flow of finances. Um, and we need to to rely on morally upstanding, conscious people at the BCCI um, to have a, a sense of, of fairness. And it's there's a, an enormous amount of anxiety amongst the, the rest of the cricket-playing world. England and Australia obviously formed the big three. Mm. Um, Australia's big bash has given them financial independence now, so they're not reliant on, on Indian tours. England are hoping that the 100 will do the same thing. But they obviously are a very, very wealthy cricketing nation and uh, they have the ashes. You know, those yeah. two countries have the ashes to support each other. They're, they're always sold out. The rights are enormous. So those three really control the destiny of, of the rest of the cricket playing world. And Tabang Moreau and Nasai Apia and the, the other members of the board who travelled frequently to India, as you know, were made to understand very clearly that they were reliant on India and yeah. Indian goodwill 
Um, and that's why, apart from the financial incentive, the compensation, the few dollars they would have got for keeping Quinton de Kock and, and Rabado and Duplessis for a bit longer, he would have believed that it was the goodwill that South Africa needed to maintain with India in order to, to have a, a financial future, financial livelihood. And there's a fair amount of truth to that because you can't make an enemy of, of the BCCI in South Africa's position in the global game. Well, look what happened to South Africa and South Africa's tour by India when Harun Logat made an, an mm. enemy of, of the BCCI and, uh, and Srinivasan. That wasn't actually as during his time as Cricket South Africa chief executive. That was uh, when he was uh, the ICC chief executive mm. in the 2011 World Cup, uh, where India uh, had some dispute over the capacities of their various stadia and and Lorgat commissioned an independent um, audit of the seating capacity because obviously if the number of seats declared um, is less than the actual number of seats and there are an extra 2,000 odd seats then that's a lot of money that's not going to the ICC yeah. pot. Where's it going? <laughs> <laughs> So he stood up to them on that, and he stood up and to that's the where the bad blood started. Didn't exactly, it? and then and and cricket South Africa were actually explicitly warned by the BCCI not to give Harun Logat the job of chief executive, but uh, they went ahead anyway. And 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 many will say, and there is some truth to the fact actually that South Africa's cricket South Africa has been paying the price ever since. It's uh, it's quite scary that a, another national body can tell. A fellow national body who and who not to employ in their sort of yeah, senior position. That's the reality, though. Yeah. Just going back to what you said, the Big Bash League um, you know, has really helped Australia financially. South Africa has missed out now on, on, on a proper global T20 league. The window's almost gone because that, that's been filled by the Big Bash League when we should have probably had the, the forerunner to the Manzanzi Super League. The in, global, in the, yeah. the global, what was it called? The global T20. We should have had that in place a couple of years ago and maybe beat the Aussies to the punch. And now we've lost that. And maybe just to explain for the listeners, there's only a certain amount of uh, windows for broadcasting uh, that the broadcasters are looking for. And that, that sort of December, January period was one of them, which, which we seem to have lost out on. Am I correct in that sort of summation? Yeah, yeah. No, you are absolutely right. One of the reasons that uh, this lack of income is going to lead to this financial calamity is when Logat uh, created the Global League, he felt that it was critical that the, all of the pro tiers were available for all of the period of, that, of the league. So that all the big names would play all of the games, um, and that would lead to the highest possible rights price, mm. uh, television rights price. By closing that international window, that was always very lucrative for incoming tours, November, December, by other nations. So he closed that window in order to host the Global League. And then you can't just open it again, because all the other nations go and make other commitments in the future tours program. So sure. they say... Uh, listen, uh, we were going to go to South Africa, but they've said they're ha hosting their domestic league then, so how about we come tour with you? And that takes place over five, six, seven years, Future Tours program. So unfortunately, South Africa is not only playing less cricket than ever before, but less quality cricket as well. We've got less, fewer games against India and, and England than any other nation. Yeah. So that's you know that's why there is so much less money coming in. Um, and then of course uh, the Mzansi Super League was a a temporary filler, really, um, and it brought in no money whatsoever. It cost uh, close to 120 million rand. It brought in nothing because uh, the rights were given to the SABC, as you know, yeah. um, the bankrupt SABC. But what's happening now is that uh, the board will have to answer some questions, Craig, as you very well know. 
fiduciary duty questions mm. um, because Supersport were always willing to pay and a lot of money as well. Yeah, I mean, I, I can't remember the exact figure it was told to me. So if you are a director on the board and you have to explain why the Mzanzi Super League cost 120 million rand or, 100, or between 100 and 120 million rand, and you say, well, because this ABC, and, and then somebody says, but Supersport were willing to pay not just 120 million costs, they were prepared to pay up to 150 million per edition. So there you had a guaranteed profit, albeit mm. a small one of 20 or 30 million rand. Yeah. So those directors who made that decision on the basis they wanted it to be on free-to-air television to grow the game and they wanted the Mzanzi Super League to be accessible to as many South Africans as possible. That's all very strong moral ground and, and very principled and, and I agree with it. But your fiduciary duty suggests that you can't pay 120 million rand to make that decision. No, I mean, you've got to make money. It's a professional business. People have got to be paid. So, yeah, so we, we've lost the window and we've future tours program in place. The next cycle of broadcast negotiations are starting now. Um, that's what Jacques Falls probably dealing with. I mean, that's quite an interesting one. He's a he's a acting CEO. I wonder what kind of sort of authority will he have to sign on the dotted line, whatever broadcast deals put in front of South Africa, if he's still in the acting role when when that happens. I don't know. It's a massive uh, problem. Um, but but that's the problem that Graham Smith and Jacques Fall are both uh, um, encountering at the moment. You know, Fall is acting CEO. What if Tabang Moreau is somehow cleared and mm. and and you know giving Which the keys back to his office i suppose well i suppose anything's possible <laughs> but graham smith as director of cricket as well um he's um he's also only there in an interim position um now he the problem is that chris nanzani and and Beresford williams and the other board members who appointed Tabang Moreau have taken no responsibility whatsoever. The sponsors have said they're going to walk away. Standard Bank have already confirmed that they're not going, mm. to, rene- uh, that they're not going to renew their, their deal. Momentum have said they will only renew if the board is replaced. And these guys won't, won't leave. So, so Graham Smith can't, he, he won't sign a two, three, four year deal until he knows that there is a different board and they refuse to go. Jacques Fall can't be appointed. So, Fall and Smith and are trying to do as much as they possibly can, and they have done a great deal. But uh, as for all the goodwill that they're encountering, they're not going to get anything signed on the dotted line until the board is replaced. And I, I suppose what people don't understand is the board isn't the highest authority in South Africa. It's the Members' Council that appoints the board, um, the, the, the provinces. Essentially. There's too much of an overlap of those two pie charts. Uh, though, and at they? the moment, yeah, they're, 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 yeah they're, <laughs> there's a big grey area when the two <laughs> when the two Venn diagrams cross each other. But um, so, so the Members' Council's got a lot to answer for too because these are the people that have, have appointed a lot of these board members or are both board members and on the Members' Council. And uh, we've had four board members resign so far out of, uh, out of 12. 12. So mm-hmm. we, we're two-thirds of the way, the way there. But Momentum said they wanted the board to resign, otherwise they're pulling their sponsorship. They've gone very quiet, Momentum. I asked Jacques Fall about it the other day, and he, he, he diplomatically said, well, you need to put that question to Momentum, not to us. All he would say on it was, well, they have – signed the women's team. So that is an indication they want to stay in the game. They do, but I also speak to Momentum, <laughs> and, uh, and they're not going to sponsor the men's team, and they, will, and they won't stay in the game while… The current setup. Yeah, exactly. They, you know, they, there needs to be a restructure. As you said, uh, you know, the board is controlled by the members' council, but the five of them are on both. 
So it's a, it doesn't yeah, work. Chicken, turkeys, and Christmas sort of comes <laughs> to mind. And that's anyway. That's a, a lot of uh, yeah po- politics and, and and the game. But let's just talk about some of the players. I mean, I'd love to. Faf Duplessis stepped down this week as Test captain. It was kind of ine- inevitable, wasn't it? That it was going to happen. How much do you think he was pushed, and how much did he jump? He wasn't pushed, and he didn't jump, but he was <laughs> talked down. Okay. Um, he believed with an almost vocational passion that, that it was his duty, his vocation to lead the team um, through this transitional period. Um, he spoke a lot about wanting to, uh, to captain the team at the T20 World Cup at the end of the year and then, and then step down. But his time came to a natural conclusion, in my opinion. Doesn't mean to say that uh, he wasn't one of South Africa's greatest ever captains. Um, I, you know, I, I certainly... I would put him alongside alongside everybody apart from perhaps Graham Smith yeah. himself. He stands you know, alone, right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, I, he was a brilliant, brilliant captain, an absolute inspiration. But his his numbers um, were, you know, dropping off dramatically over the last 18 months. And I'm not surprised. While all this stuff was going on, you know, he had players. We were talking about the, the atmosphere in which you play the game and you're a professional cricketer. You're being told that, your money, first of all, you told that you get a pay cut, okay, because we're entering austerity measures and whatever, so sorry, you can't get paid as much as you were last year. Yeah. And then a million rand of player money is being spent taking the board to court, and you're, and then you're told that Cricket South Africa is heading for a, a billion rand deficit. You know, you're seriously thinking, am I better off playing club cricket in the Netherlands? <laughs> and and earning six thousand euros a summer because you know if I am then I need to make that decision now. Yeah. And who do you call? Uh, well, you call the chief executive of the players' association, perhaps, but otherwise you call the national captain. And so Faf Duplessis has 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 got that kind of atmosphere. He's dealing with that sort of atmosphere. And you know, then people say, yeah, but you're only averaging twenty seven in Test cricket. <laughs> <Yeah>. Well, <laughs> actually, twenty seven is pretty good in <laughs> yeah. these circumstances. <laughs> yeah, you, uh, it's one of those sports where. In some sports, the captain's sort of neither here nor there. But in cricket, the captain, especially at test level, is everything. I mean, he is the embodiment of of the team and the entire structure. Yeah, absolutely. And he was absolutely one of the very, very, very best. I I, I don't think he's particularly happy and not necessarily at peace with the, the, the decision to step down. But I do think that his time had come to a natural end. Doesn't mean to say, as I said... That uh, Faf, if you're listening, <laughs> you were one of the greatest, mate. But it was a natural end. Will it work with him as a as just a rank and file member of the team, which is what his release I to don't indicate? know. Um, I really, I don't know. Um, it's not something he ever contemplated. He he was a natural born captain. Yeah, always saw himself as captain. Never ever saw himself as returning to the ranks as most other captains do. I mean, you know, after two or three years in the job, most guys go, oh, can I just, can I just play? Can someone else do this? Yeah. But he never saw himself as, uh, as returning to the ranks. Um, I think he'll be a success, actually. I think he, uh, he doesn't know. I don't think he can remember what, <laughs> what it was like and how much fun it could be just playing in the team. So I think he will. I do. Honestly, I think he'll um, – I don't know who's going to captain the test team. Fortunately, there are only two test matches this entire year. Oh, it's ridiculous too, but – yeah. So I, I think he'll score runs and I think he'll enjoy his cricket again. Uh, well, that is a the question. Who's the obvious candidate? I mean, I suppose Quinton de Cox in the frame I and mean, his form, but is he a test captain? How different is test captaincy from one-day captaincy? I mean, the, the nuances are, are vastly different. Yeah, I mean, you know, 
deciding on whether to have a third slip or two gullies or a third man is about 2% of the job. Mm, maybe one one percent so i don't know whether but you, i don't know whether quinter de cox a test captain i mean he has said that he doesn't particularly want to do the job he's not seeking it but then again you know i i wouldn't have said in fact i said he wouldn't be a one-day captain when they appointed him as the one-day captain and i think it's his batting that has really made all the difference rather than his captaincy but i think it, i think I, don't, I wouldn't give him the test job no um yet yeah yeah and so i suppose it's only the west indies only we say these days Neil, we could go on for hours. Just, just briefly, to in closing, uh, your your favourite tours, your favourite memories of covering the Proteas over the last thirty years. Two thousand and eight. Uh, that was my favourite tour to Australia. Um, and it, I'm, I'm a bit of an amateur historian, so I've got a strong sense of history. I love, I love things that things being achieved that haven't been achieved before. So you know, we South Africa hadn't won in Australia in a century or ninety six years and and eleven tours. So almost a century of trying. So 2008 for me is absolutely, um, totally my favourite test matches. You know, chased 414 in the first yeah. test match in Perth and then was so far behind the game in the second test match, which was also at the MCG, which is one of my favourite arenas yeah. on earth. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's always tempting to think the best must have been years and years ago. So it must have been in the 80s or the 90s. <laughs> but no, yeah, that, that tour of Australia, absolutely brilliant. Neil, let's do this again sometime, talk more cricket, but it's been an absolute pleasure having you on. Thanks for, for joining us on the Maverick Sports Podcast today. Uh, it's an absolute pleasure, Greg, anytime. This podcast is made possible by our Maverick Insiders. Please consider becoming part of our Maverick Insider community where, for a nominal fee every month, you're supporting quality, independent journalism. You also get some cool benefits, such as Uber vouchers and engagement with our journalists thrown in please go to dailymaverick.co.za forward slash insider to sign up and become part of the Maverick Insider community. Also remember to sign up to our Maverick Sports newsletter, which hits your inbox on a Monday and never miss another podcast by signing up on your favorite platform. I'm Craig Gray. Thanks for listening to us this week. Maverick.